You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, the Packers got some time off, so we're going to take some time off from talking about training camp. That means around the NFL, in the NFC North, and the Green Bay Packers, because I need a break, and you probably do too. All the breaking updates and everything else, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up on what's been happening uh, some other time. With that said, there are a couple things I wanted to go over. Um, one of the things is, I thought this was a handy little tool here by Justice Mosqueda. Uh, it's an article written over at SB Nation, Acme Packing Company, and it is um, Family Night, Packers Snap Counts with the Ones. So he basically went back and watched it and counted how many snaps everybody had with the Ones and what position they played. Unfortunately, he did not do offensive line, which would have been cool, but that's all right. I think we mostly got that figured out. But um, I want to go through this just because it provides a little bit of uh, perspective, and some of them are a little bit surprising. But uh, again, remember, this is with the ones. That was the one part that I had missed. I don't know if he changed the title or if I just completely did not read it, but I was so confused because I'm looking at this. I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, Devontae Wyatt played two snaps? That's insane. Anyway, starting off, he's got running back here, A.J. Dillon, 14 snaps, Aaron Jones, 12, Josiah DeGuara, 1. So as far as getting clarity on who the number three back is, there is none here today. But it is interesting seeing Josiah lined up as a running back on one play. Um, He's been getting a lot of work. The other thing to keep in mind is some of these guys may be getting quote-unquote bubble-wrapped, which may account for some of the lack of snaps, so that's just something else to keep in mind. I don't know the answer to the question, but just keep that in the back of your mind as I read some of these snap counts and you're thinking, what the heck is going on here? Fullback, Josiah DeGuara, three snaps, Dominique Daphne, one. Outside receiver. This is one of the first ones that I thought was interesting. You got outside and slot, so I'm just going to do each receiver and where they played in each spot. Sammy Watkins is clearly the most quote-unquote outside receiver of the bunch. He played the most snaps of anybody outside at 13, and then he only played three in the slot. Alan Lazar, 10 outside and six inside. Romeo Dobbs, six outside, seven inside. Jawan Winfrey played five on the outside and two in the slot. Amari Rogers played five in the slot, none on the outside. Tyler Davis played two snaps from the slot. Mercedes Lewis and A.J. Dillon each played one from the slot. So that is the full breakdown outside and inside for the receivers slash tight end slash running back. Um, Inline tight end snaps, Tyler Davis, eight. Mercedes Lewis, five. Josiah DeGuara, two. I do want to mention something about that because one thing I've been talking about a ton is Tyler Davis is the receiving tight end, receiving tight end, receiving tight end. I don't necessarily want to make it sound like he's going to be in the slot a ton, That is kind of the interesting thing when I looked at their snap counts. Um, Tyler Davis is a receiver, but his snaps don't line up exactly with what you get from, I guess, really anybody. He's he's like an inline receiver, and and there's really nobody else on our team that is that way. Mercedes Lewis is an inline blocker. Daphne and DeGuara are the H-backs. Tunyon is the slot receiver type guy. So it doesn't quite 100% match up with anybody, but the most inline snaps were for Tyler Davis at uh, eight. Mercedes Lewis had uh, 
I should mention Tyler Davis had eight in line, three wing tight end. Mercedes Lewis had five in line, two wing tight end. Josiah DeGuara, two in line, three wing. And then Alan Lazard, Dominique Daphne, and Jawan Winfrey each took one snap as the wing tight end. Total snaps uh, for the offensive skill players, Lazard 19, Sammy 16, Dylan and DeGuara 15, Aaron Jones 14, Dobbs and Tyler Davis 13, Winfrey and Mercedes Lewis 8. I think Mercedes would be an example of a guy getting a little bit of a, a breather. Randall Cobb, six. That's also probably a breather situation, I would guess. Amari Rogers, five. Dominique Daphne, three. Then over to the defense. Um, Three different defensive tackle designations. You've got 3-4 defensive end, 3-4 nose tackle, and then defensive tackle, which is like a 4-3 defensive tackle, I'm assuming. So um, Jaron Reed, 15 snaps as a 3-4 defensive end, five as a defensive tackle. Dean Lowry, 14 snaps as a 3-4 defensive end, 6 as a defensive tackle. Kenny Clark, 11 as a nose tackle, 2 as a 3-4 defensive end, 8 as a defensive tackle. TJ Slayton got 5 snaps as a nose tackle only. Oh, I'm sorry, he had 2 as a defensive tackle also. Devontae Wyatt, 1 snap as a 3-4 defensive end, and 1 snap as a defensive tackle. And I think that's it. Uh, one of the biggest surprises was outside linebacker. I, I'm so thrown off right now, but here are the snaps. 17 for Rashawn, 15 for Preston, 6 for Garvin and Agbar and Ladarius Hamilton, 4 for Kobe Do- Jones, and then it says in the notes here, Tipa, Tipa uh, Naliai worked with the ones as recently as last week, but saw most of his snaps with the threes on Friday night. It appears that in a short amount of time, he's been passed on the depth chart by Garvin and an Agbar. I don't know if that's true or not, because that, that would be the most drastic thing ever. It's not that he's been with the, uh, the, the ones or twos or whatever as recently as last week. He's been the number three edge rusher for the entirety of camp. It's Rashawn, then Preston, then Tipa. It has been that way first camp, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, Every single camp, that has been the case consistently. And all of a sudden, he drops below Garvin, below Enagbar, below Hamilton. I mean, listen, it's always been weird that Tipa's been where he's been. That never really made a lot of sense. But how in the world do you suddenly just plummet below everybody? So I am very confused as to what all that means, especially since he's been really good. He didn't do anything bad to, to cause himself to fall down to that spot. I guess I shouldn't say that definitively because I don't know, but all the notes from the reporters have all been positive. He has received more positive notes than everybody but Rashawn Gary as an outside linebacker, and he has zero negative notes. So I'm at a complete loss for what that is, but I'll be interested to see when the next camp comes up if he's back to where he was or if he is now just permanently off the list because that, that is the most... Ins- Kobe Jones had four snaps. And that, that's the thing that makes me think like that, that something else is going on here. The fact that, what, he's now, I'm supposed to believe he's below Kobe Jones? Come on. No chance. That's what you got. Inside linebackers, Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker, and that's it. 27 for uh, Dre, 23 for Quay. And then um, outside cornerback, Eric Stokes, 23 snaps, Jair, 22. Rico Gafford with five, which is cool because I kind of had him as that number three. Shamar Jean Charles as three. He also had one as the slot corner. He was sort of the number two slot guy also. And then uh, 
Razul with 14 snaps in the slot. Keandre Thomas with one snap as outside corner. Safety, Adrian Amos with 24. Darnell Savage only at two because he was injured, so we got a very clear look at who that next man up is at safety. It's kind of, I think, what we all thought, or at least what I thought, which is Vernon Scott. I have heard some thoughts about maybe it's Dallin Levitt or whatever. Um, It's not. After Vernon Scott, the next amount of, of snaps went to Sean Davis, which is not as I would have had it. Um, I had Ennis Gaines kind of, I, 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 here's the thing. I had Ennis Gaines at the bottom with Tariq Carpenter for a long time, but he had so many positive notes. I decided to, to leapfrog Davis and Levitt. And it sounds like I shouldn't have done that because Sean Davis and Devis, De, uh, Dallin Levitt had three and two snaps. So it kind of seems like maybe those two guys are kind of on that same tier and Ennis is one stop step below. But again, he's just had such a good camp. I couldn't keep him down, but I may have to drop him back down. Anyways, total defensive players, uh, 27 for Devondre Campbell, 24 snaps for Amos, 23 for Stokes, Quay, and Vernon Scott, 22 for Jair, 21 for Kenny, 20 for Dean and Jaron, 17 for Rashawn, 15 for Preston, 14 for Razul, 7 for TJ Slayton, 6 for uh, Garvin, Enigbar, Enigbar, and Hamilton, 5 for Rico Gafford, 4 for Kobe Jones, Shamar Jean Charles, 3 for Sean Davis, 2 for Dallin Levitt, Darnell Savage, and Devontae Wyatt, and 1 for Keandre Thomas. And again, I know it's frustrating with Devontae Wyatt only getting 2 snaps, but the problem is there are 3 number 1s ahead of him. So how many snaps he's going to get with the number 1s is going to be limited. And the, and the other issue for Devontae Wyatt is it's not, I mean, e- even if he's having a good camp, and I think he is, all through camp, I think he's been solid. Again, as I said, it's a complete um, falsehood to say that he's been quiet in camp because he hasn't. But the problem is not only does he have three guys ahead of him, but they're all having really good camps. I mean, Kenny isn't necessarily. Haven't heard a single note about him, but Dean Lowry, been hearing a ton about him. Fantastic camp. Jaron Reed, hearing a ton about him. So I, I think we just need to give up this dream that Devontae Wyatt's going to be a number one guy. I don't think he's going to be, but I think that that's okay. Same with TJ Slayton. I think he's having a good camp. He's not going to get the, the the title of number one because we have those three guys, and I think they're pretty well set in stone. And I also think it kind of doesn't matter when you talk about ones, twos, and threes and stuff, when you're talking about a, a defensive line that's going to be so highly rotational. And so what you're going to have is, is more like tiers like I have set up on my, um, my articles where you're going to have Kenny probably with the most snaps, Closely followed by Jaron Reed, closely followed by, you know, Dean Lowry, and then a little bit of a drop because those guys are playing most of the time. And then it'll probably be Wyatt and Slayton. And, and you'll see Slayton probably get more and more and more opportunities as some of these guys get a little bit more and more rest. And it'll be, you know, instead of that drop, it'll be more of a smooth transition. And it's just going to be a, a highly rotated position with five guys that they really, really like. I think it'll get to that point eventually. But we don't need to worry about number one. And, you know, if, if he's not a number one, then that means he's a failure and something has gone wrong. No, it's not. Anyways, I want to take an early break here. Um, I just want to get it out of the way so we can just run through stuff and not have to worry about it anymore. Please remember, head over to pristineauction.com. It is your best chance, your only chance, the only way in the world you will ever get a signed Quay Walker jersey. That's actually not true, but it is free. So if you want it, but you don't want to pay for it, I've got the solution. PristineAuction.com. Head over there immediately. 
Top right corner, you're going to click on register. And when you register your account, make sure you use promo code ROGERS, R-O-D-G-E-R-S. Don't forget the D now, or the R, for or, or any of the letters. Because anyways, you're not only going to get $10 off the first item that you win, but you're going to be entered into a drawing to win a signed Quay Walker jersey. Do not have a ton of entries, so your odds of winning are quite high. But the, uh, the window is closing rapidly to get that done. I believe their um, agreement with us ends today, Sunday. The drawing isn't until the 31st, but um, the, us working together is, is, was just for one week. So I'm not positive the window's closing, but let's just pretend it is. Make sure you go do that. You got today, and that's it. So, it, you know, great opportunity to get a, a jersey of a guy that, I, I tell you what, this guy's going to be a freak. <laughs> He's going to be, oh my goodness, I can't wait to watch him play. But anyways, please head over there and do that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Anyways, uh, also, I forgot. I want to give a big shout out to Dan Crawl. Thank you so much for jumping in on Patreon. Like I've been saying, it's been, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's the economy or what. Maybe people just don't like me anymore. I said something wrong. I'm not positive what the issue is, but it's been like one or two a week people are dropping off a of Patreon. Um, by the way, again, as I said, if, if there's anything that's a problem, please tell me. I understand your situation, if it changes or whatever. I'm, you got to do what you got to do. I, I just want to know if there's something going on with me or with the show or with the network. Uh, come to me so I can fix it. You obviously at one point really appreciated the show enough to be a patron, and I want to make sure that you continue enjoying the show, um, even if you choose not to be a patron. Please please reach out if there's anything going on that isn't great. But we, we, we got one going in the opposite direction. Dan Crawl decided to jump on. I really appreciate that. And also Roger Davis uh, not only upped his pledge, but did it for the year, so I really appreciate your support. Roger's been around for quite a while. I appreciate you, Roger. Thank you very much. That is patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the work that I do here, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. And it just means a, uh, it means a ton to me. It really does. I know I had had a goal. Um, it was around, around this time last year. I was like, let's get, see if we can get to 300. And then we got to around like December and the patrons started falling and it's been falling ever since. And we're closing in on like 200. So I'm hoping to turn the ship around, see if we can get back to 300. I was looking at, um, by the way, let's turn this into a Bears-Packers rivalry. The Tape Never Lies. It's it's a show that that they do a great job, by the way. They got a big network and, and whatever. But that's, if you remember Laughing at the Enemy, those guys do some great. And that guy's, by the way, I think today we're going to play some clips of them, but um, he's always ranting and raving about the Bears and it creates great content. But I went and looked at their Patreon 
They only have one tier. It's $7 a month. And they have over 700 people <laughs> signed up on their Patreon. I really thought I was doing a good job with my, you know, dollar a month sign up and having 200 and some odd patrons. These guys are making five grand a month just talking about the bears. So I'm just saying, can we get to 300? <laughs> That'd be sweet. But uh, no, I'm, I am happy for them, man. They do a good job and, and we're going to get to a couple clips of them because every time they talk about the bears being a disaster, we got to talk about it. And actually, that would make, I wasn't going to go there first, but that does make a pretty decent segue. Why don't we start there? And this will be the most dishonest, highly edited video you've ever heard in your entire life. I'm just telling you that straight up, <laughs> just in case the boys over at the tape never lies hear this and are like, that's not, I, you didn't play the full context. It's like, you're, you're right. I did not play the full context, but um, let's just call this an entertainment segment, all right? So let's just get started, shall we? There is so much Bears drama. Everywhere. It's like when I was a kid and I was sick from school, I used to have to stay home and my mom would be home and we'd be watching the young and the restless. All the changes and still things still remain the same a little bit <laughs> with this team, right? You guys, I just summed it up. I feel like Matt Averflus is our combo of Mark Trussman and Matt Nagy, right? Like it's Yikes. like he says Yikes. he's the feel good of Trussman. <laughs> like we just want everybody to get along and we're yeah. camaraderie and the culture is where it's at. But he's also Matt Nagy in that he's like coach speak. And I, it's just, it just feels like more of the same. I want it to be different. I really do. I just don't know if it's going to be. And and I want to give exactly. some caveat to what we've seen in, pra in training camp, because not only is Justin learning a new offense and a, a makeshift O-line that I think is coming together. I don't know. My head hurts when I try to think about the combinations that they've done. But think about Luke Getze, who has spent the entirety of his career working with an, a Hall of Fame quarterback who he says, here's the play, and, and Aaron Rodgers can go out and execute it like that. He's not used to developing a quarterback. So we have to give some grace for the what he's doing and trying to implement with Justin that Justin's new and young and learning, and Luke is rightfully frustrated, but he's not been around developing an offense, developing a quarterback before. So I feel like we're seeing some of those growing pains a little bit. So I want to pause here a little bit because, you know, it's funny. There was a guy I saw on Twitter who's he's, he's just a troll, and he's, he's a really hardcore jerk um, just in terms of, you know, taking trolling to too far of a level and, and crossing several lines. But anyways... The, the thing that I noticed, I went through and kind of looked at some of his tweets just to kind of see some of the other stuff that he's been saying. And um, hardcore Bears fan, I'm not saying, I'm not not going to try to pretend he's a representation of Bears fans. That's not the point. But um, the biggest frustration he had was the fact that there's so much negativity. Negativity in the media, negativity from the fans. And he's, he's just as much as he's tra trashing Packer fans, which is hilarious because everything I've always said about Bears fans and, and their disdain for the Green Bay Packers, you can see it on his tweets. They hate Green Bay because they're a small town. They're these, you know, farm people, and they're lower than me because I'm in Chicago, which, let's be honest, the guy probably lives in the suburbs but says he lives in Chicago because he thinks it gives him some kind of credibility. That's what most, you know, people do. But he's angry, and, and one of the tweets I saw that he said is, I can't believe you guys had more excitement last year than this year. And by the way, Bears fans are right to have been more excited last year than this year. But guys like him are so angry because they want to believe. They want to believe this is going to be a great year. Justin's going to be great. The offensive line's going to be great. They were so mad about all these rumors that, you know, 
Roquan's going to get traded and Robert Quinn's going to get traded and Tevin Jenkins is going to get traded, who just reported to camp the other day, which but he went real hard after this Bears guy. Maybe I'll play some clips of him. I don't really know if I will or not. I have in the past, but um, saying that he believes that Tevin Jenkins will be traded before the start of the season. Well, Tevin Jenkins reported back to camp and this guy just went absolutely nuts. What happened to that trade? Well, the start of the season hasn't happened yet, first of all. Second of all, you're just a jerk. <laughs> But, but that's that's sort of the dichotomy. You've got Bears fans who are exasperated with Bears media and other Bears fans who see this as a negative season because they feel their job is to constantly talk about how the Bears are better than everybody and to trash the Packers, and you should never trash your own team. Everything's always positive. Mooney's a top five receiver, et cetera, et cetera. Jalen Johnson, top five corner, easily. It's easy, you know? But there, there is this sort of negative mentality. And, and that is one of the things I like about the tape never lies is that they're honest. They were very optimistic to start the season like most Bears fans were. But when it became clear that things were not going well, they were honest about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I've always asked from everybody, whether it be a Packers fan, Vikings fan, Lion fan, Patriots fan, I don't care. You can be optimistic, but be honest. The offseason, we don't know anything. So if you choose to be optimistic, you know, there's, there's probably a right... Uh, right way to believe things based on previous or you know history and et cetera, et cetera, but whatever. But it but at least acknowledge what is. And right now there is just sort of this, and I've mentioned it before, this feeling of this sucks and this is not going to be good. And it's 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 honestly it's even worse than I thought because I'm listening to this and it's like they're just down about everything. Down about the offensive line. I'm I'm starting to get more optimistic about it. And you listen to them, they're like, I don't know, this this ragtag garbage group of nobodies. It's like, well, I don't know, Riley Reeves pretty decent, man, and I think it'd be all right. I mean, it's not good, but I mean, we're, we're officially to the point. And it's funny because I've, I've been saying this is my goal, right? For decades, Bears fans had just given up. I, I kind of feel like once the Packers beat them in the playoffs, that was sort of when they, we completely broke their spirit. They had been down for a while, but you still had the sort of uh, this is our year mentality and things are going to be better or whatever. Since that time... Bears fans just dissolved into the earth. And then 2018 happened, and Trubisky happened, and they got this revival. And then Justin Fields happened, and then then things really got up out of control. And it seems like now they're kind of getting back to that point of, or, or it's it's reawoken the feeling that they had before of, you know, it's just, it's never going to work. Just despair. And am I feeding off it? Yes, I am. Is it because I have some kind of a weird compulsion? Maybe I do. Just like Ramage does with the Vikings, you know? To me, that's part of being a Packer fan is laughing at the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions a little bit. Although it's hard to laugh at the Lions because partially because it's just boring and partially because it just seems mean, you know? It's like walking up to a homeless person on the street and going, you have no money. It's like, well, that's rude. He knows he doesn't have, like, why Why would you do that? I don't know, man. I'm just, just being honest. <laughs> Anyways, why don't we get a couple more a little recap? Do you like my little swoosh thing, by the way? Because I was, I was thinking, like, I, I want people to know when there's a, a break between comments. But also, this is just a thing that like a professional podcaster should have is a little transition sound. So, you know, we're, we're, we're professionals over here and whatnot. Still entirely too many balls on the ground and entire, entirely too many plays that would have been sacks in real life. So that's still too much. So that was a, I also forgot to mention the point that she had made earlier about um, Getze. You know, there's a lot of love and excitement from Chicago Bears fans about Luke Getze, and I think to some degree it's fair. On the other hand, it's one thing to um, essentially be handed things. Let's just be honest about it. To be handed Aaron Rodgers, to be handed Matt LaFleur in his offense, 
remember, this this isn't really, you know, when you look at Matt LaFleur, he grew up in this offense. This was his thing. He, he's been doing this since forever, since the days of, you know, Mike Shanahan. It wasn't even Kyle Shanahan. He learned this from Mike Shanahan. Then he went on to play with Kyle Shanahan. Then he went on to play under Sean McVay. I mean, he he grew up in this. He learned this from from different people and different ways to implement it. He was the, you know, quarterback coach. He was the offensive coordinator. He lived and breathed this offensive system. Luke Getze was Mike McCarthy's wide receivers coach. Then he went to Mississippi State for a year, and then Rodgers said, I want him back, and he came back. He's not a Matt LaFleur guy. He's an Aaron Rodgers guy. You had uh, James Jones was on the Ringer NFL podcast, and he was talking about it saying Aaron Rodgers was begging and fighting for Luke Getze to be the offensive coordinator, and it was Matt LaFleur that was like, nah, we're going in a different direction. Matt LaFleur is the one that decided that they were going to hire somebody else to do the job. And I'm not saying he's bad at his job. I just want to be clear on this because Bears fans are like, this is a Matt LaFleur disciple who's going to bring that offense. Well, yeah, he was in the room for sure, but he wasn't even the Packers' offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach, and he was the quarterback's coach because Aaron Rodgers said, this is who I want to be my quarterback's coach. So LaFleur's like, all right, cool. Same thing we got with Tom Clements. I don't care, man. Whatever you need, we'll 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 do it. That's your thing. I don't I don't care. So yeah, he had um, you know, three years of of learning Matt LaFleur's system. I'm not saying that he doesn't have some kind of an understanding, but to her to her credit and to her point, she's saying it's one thing to be Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach, and Matt LaFleur says, This is how our offense works. Tell Aaron Rodgers how to do it. And he's like, All right, Aaron, here's what we're doing. And Rodgers is like, Yeah, I know. I got it. I'm not stupid. And he's like, all right, cool. Go do it out there in the field. And he's like, all right, thumbs up, buddy. And then they go play football and he crushes it to this whole new thing where Matt Eberflus, who's a defensive guy, comes over here, grabs him and says, not only do we not have a Hall of Fame quarterback, we don't have an offense. We don't have a team. We need to build this from the ground up. So you need to simultaneously Teach Justin Fields how to be a good football player. You are, as the offensive coordinator, have to put this offensive line together. What the heck does he know? He's, he was the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator. And listen, I'm not saying the guy doesn't know anything about offensive line, and clearly they have offensive line coaches that can kind of handle some of this stuff. This is entirely new. The position is new. The, the part where he has to build this from the ground up is new. Implementing the offensive system, as opposed to not only do you not just need to understand the terminology well enough so that when I tell you this is what we're doing, you can translate it to Rodgers, who doesn't even need you to be here. You need to be the one that builds the offense. You need to understand it so well that you can implement the whole offense and teach everybody here. You need to teach the coaches so that the coaches can teach the players. It is a massive change and a massive overhaul. And listen, I'm I'm sure he is an incredible coach, but I, I just want to make sure that we understand that properly. His job, he he is a Mike McCarthy hire, and Mike McCarthy hired him to be the wide receivers coach. And the only reason he got hired again by Matt LaFleur is because Aaron Rodgers likes him. And when the Bears became interested in him and said, hey, we we might want to hire him, the Packers did not say, okay, we're going to make you the offensive coordinator. They went to their offensive line coach and said, we're going to make him the offensive coordinator. Why? Because he understands the offense better which, as I said a long time ago, makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's, he, as the offensive line coach, to be able to understand this Shanahan system, he's, he, is, he has to understand it on a much deeper, much more fundamental level, the way everything works together. And he has the benefit of having Matt LaFleur still right there by his side to help him through anything that he doesn't understand. Again, 
Getze, who is less qualified than the offensive coordinator we have to implement the offense, which we know because Matt LaFleur told us that, has no resources. He cannot call Matt LaFleur and be like, hey, man, what was that thing we did? Um, Sorry, not answering his phone calls. He is on an island with a bunch of people that do not know how to do this stuff, and he's got to be the, the resident expert. On top of that, his quarterback sucks, his offensive line sucks, his wide receivers suck. It's, it's a bad situation. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of potential if you can implement the offense properly to, to help Justin Fields to kind of simplify things a little bit, to make some easier throws for him. But it is such a massive... It's not as easy as just come over here and, like, here's, here's the playbook, and we're going to implement it, and, and everything's fixed. That's nonsense. And again, it's the fact that he's on an island. If they had a, a head coach that was offensively minded, that would help, especially if the guy had any amount of experience in this offensive system to be able to help him out. But essentially, Luke Getze is going from you know, wide receiver coach to being hired to be Aaron Rodgers' friend to being the head coach of the offense, essentially, which is what I tend to call the, the offensive or defensive coordinator that is by himself. So it would be like Joe Barry for us because we have the, the main offensive coordinator is Matt LaFleur. He is the, the one that is number one for the offense. The defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, first and foremost, is Matt Eberflus. So Joe Barry is our head coach of the defense. Luke Getze went from wide receivers coach to college to Aaron Rodgers' friend to head coach of the Chicago Bears' garbage offense. It's a rough climb, man. You know, and, and I think that's a little bit different than even like if you look at the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, I think the Vikings, at least, I'm, I'm not saying I know it's all going to work, but they went out and got Kevin O'Connell as, as the head coach. They're just following in line with what everybody else does, hire the Rams guys, right? But similar path to all these other guys. A former Washington Redskins uh, coach that went over to be with the LA Rams and kind of hone your craft over there with that team that's on the cutting edge, and then you hire him to be the head coach. It's, it's, Almost the same path Matt LaFleur and, and even Sean McVay went on. He spent time with the 49ers in 2016. You look at the offensive coordinator, the guy that needs to implement the offense ultimately, even though he has help from O'Connell. Who is that? The guy that spent the last um, 2019, 2020, 2021 with the Rams. He was the tight ends coach who got promoted to tight ends coach and passing game coordinator. So it's actually somewhat similar to Luke Getze with a couple different distinct differences. Number one, they're implementing a system, and the guy who implemented the system on a different team, the Rams, is there as your head coach to ultimately help you with whatever you need. Number two, you are the tight ends coach and passing game coordinator that was hired because we wanted you to be the tight ends coach and passing game coordinator. Not necessarily, you know, maybe I'm being unfair with the Aaron Rodgers thing, but he wasn't hired because he's, you know, Jared Goff's buddy. And then on the defense, the guy who was kind of completely by himself, which is sort of, you know, essentially what Getzey is, again, the head coach of the defense, the guy that's on an island, they went out and got Ed Donatel. The guy has been coaching since 1979. He got his first defensive coordinator job with the Green Bay Packers back in 2000. He was a defensive coordinator for the Falcons. He was defensive coordinator for Washington. He was a defensive coordinator for the Broncos, which again, what are they doing over there in Denver? That's Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio is the head coach. So, Ed Donatel spent three years studying to be defensive coordinator under Vic Fangio, which is the defense that everybody wants to implement. That's why we got Joe Barry. It's a very similar thing. 
So they got the Rams offense and the Vic Fangio defense. And Ed Donatello is a very experienced guy that has been a defensive coordinator before who is going to help implement what? The Vic Fangio defense. The same thing with Joe Barry. It's not that Joe Barry had success everywhere else. The point is he knows how to be the head coach of the defense because he's done it for years and years and years. He understand it's not new to him. But the other big thing is he spent three years studying to do the, well, in this case, it's Brandon Staley defense, but it's, again, very similar style of defense. Brandon Staley learned under Vic Fangio. When he came into the league, it was 2017, 2018, as an outside linebackers coach. He came into the league with Khalil Mack and Vic Fangio. And his first defensive coordinator gig came to the LA. So, so again, this is his understanding of how to do defense. Before that, he was in college. So his first introduction into the NFL was the outside linebackers coach under Vic Fangio. So again, Joe Barry learned under him. And the Packers went up against, by the way, that defense, which was psychotically good. They were the number one defense in football. Number one in points, number one in yards, number one in first downs allowed, number one in passing yards allowed, number one in touchdown passes allowed, number one in net yards per attempt passing. So again, the, the point is, this is what the Packers are doing. This is what the Vikings are doing. It's different than what the Bears are doing. Now it's similar in that, okay, we want to get this offensive system nailed down. This is what we would like to do. But I don't know for sure that the, the hire necessarily makes as much sense, especially since you're putting this guy out on an island. At least with Joe Barry, even though he didn't have a ton of time under um, under Brandon Staley, you got a guy that not only understands it, but has been in this position before. Because again, the question is, do you know how to be a coordinator? The answer for Joe Barry is yes. Anyways, I do have more clips, but I want to move off the, the Bears thing. I, I saw that um, Bussin' with the Boys was in Green Bay. Actually, I, I saw, I think it was, um, whatever. I saw that they were there. The interesting thing to me, though, is the interview that was done and no, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I've, I've listened to the clips that they posted. But they talked with Robert Tunyon. And there were two quotes. One of them is, I think, getting a little bit more hype. It's a little bit more fun. And um, I know Clayton had posted it in the group. Definitely a cool clip. So I'll play that one first. But the one I really wanted to talk about the most, I'm going to uh, save for last because I really wanted to talk about it. But this is, uh, well, it's just, it's Robert Tunyon talking. So here he is. Last season, like, I truly grew so much. And, like, I'm thankful that that happened. I truly am. Because I, if I go the whole season being healthy and all that happens, and I'm up for a big contract, am I even in Green Bay? You never know. With a good quarterback, a great defense, like, those are the things that, like, I want on a team, like, in a Super Bowl team. Like, you have a one of the best, if not the best quarterback of all time as your quarterback. And we have a bunch of people coming back on defense and then some. And then we don't have a number one receiver anymore. Like, that's what I want. That's the pressure I want to put on myself because I want to be that guy. And I grew so much. And, like, even mentally, like, I'm not scared to come back. Like, I'm almost, and I'm not, like, over eager to come back. I'm just, like, smiling internally because I'm, like, you know, some people forgot. Ooh. Like, <laughs> talk to him, I mean, So I don't want to downplay the quote because it's, it's a great clip. I would push back a little bit on on the main part of that, which is I'm in, I'm smiling on the inside because people forgot. No, I didn't forget, man. I I remember. I remember you had four games of over 50 yards, 600 receiving yards. You know, 2020. You know, I mean, I I like Tunyon, but it's you know the whole like people forgot how good I was. Like, well, I'm I'm hoping when you come back, you're better than you were. And I've I've already said Tunyon could be that guy. We talked about Alan Lazard and everything, but. The point is Aaron Rodgers is going to shift his focus. He's probably going to shift his focus to somebody he really likes, and Tunyon might be that guy. I mean, if it's if it's not Lazard, 
And if we're going to pick somebody not named Aaron Jones, because that's kind of a very specialized thing where he's he's obviously not running routes all the time like Tunyon and Lazard are going to be doing. He's a lot of time in the backfield, a lot of time he's running the ball, and then, you know, 50% of the time he's sitting on the bench or 40 or whatever. So when you're talking about a, a primary go-to clutch receiver, Tunyon might just absolutely blow up this year. I've already said that. I don't want to discount it, but that's my point. Let's... um. Let's hopefully get excited about you being better, not, hey, everybody forgot how great I was. If, if you're just going to come back and be the same guy, then you know, darn, I guess, in my mind. But I, you know, what I didn't forget is Rodgers trusts you a lot. You are a good receiver. You've got blazing freaking speed, which I do tend to forget that, but it, it is true. As far as tight ends go, it's rare to find a guy as quick as him. And in fact, it's shocking that he went undrafted because he's got the measurables to be a great tight end. Six foot five, like 240, running in the four fives. I mean, there literally wasn't one tight end in, in the entire draft that fits that criteria. Six five or bigger, running in the four fives. The only guys that were as big, you got Bellinger at six foot five. He ran a four six three. Jelani Woods, six seven, ran a four six one. Tunyon ran a four five eight. In fact, the only guy that seemed to have ran faster this entire draft process is Chigazium Okonkwo ran a four five two at six foot three. That's not even like tight end height. That's like a big wide receiver. Six three two thirty eight. That's that's like Lazardish. Although Lazard, I think is like six one. But point is, he's he is rare. But I think the best part of that clip is the part where he says. It's almost good that I didn't break out last year because then I'd be headed for a massive contract and maybe it wouldn't have been with the Packers and I'd be on some garbage team and I want to be with the Packers. I want to be on a Super Bowl caliber team. Think about the gravity of that. Maybe maybe part of it is, is a little bit BS. But think about how massive that is. If he had to choose between being healthy last year and then getting paid, we're talking, let's say he gets like a $10 million a year contract, four, you know, $40 million over four years, set for life. Which may not happen. He gets hurt again this year, he might just fade off into the sunset, and the money he's made is all the money he's going to make in the NFL. If he had to choose, he'd rather keep things the way that they are so that he can come back and have his big breakout year with the Packers on the road to the Super Bowl with this elite defense and this great offense and Aaron freaking Rodgers as his quarterback. That would be his choice. I'm guessing most people would say, as much as it sucks to go somewhere else potentially, I'll go to the Jets if you're going to give me that, that contract. $30 million guaranteed, put like $10, $15 million cash in my bank account just when I sign this. I don't know what the signing bonus would be, but it'd be giant. That's pretty cool. And I love the confidence. And, I, and again, I do think he can come back and have a massive year because we have an offense that isn't running th- solely through Devontae anymore. And I do think, listen, I think we got a lot of guys that have much more potential that we didn't see. You know, I know Jace didn't really pan out, but I, I do remember being frustrated because I wanted Jace to work out and occasionally, very rarely, when he would even get on the field, I remember him running open and being like, just throw it to him. And it wouldn't go to him. Same with DeGuara. I'd see DeGuara motion out of the backfield and kind of cut up the field and say, come on, throw it to him. Go to Devontae. I'm sure Tunyon, there's been opportunities there, but it goes to Devontae. I'm sure Lazard. I'm sure a lot of guys there have been, they're better than they seem because we look at it and we look at their yards and their touchdowns or whatever other metrics and we go, eh, that's all it is. He's just a 500-yard, 400-yard receiver, tight end, whatever. He's not very good. When in reality, the metrics aren't a fair reflection because some of the targets that Robert Tunyon earned, which all you can do is run your route and get open. Some of the, some of the opportunities he earned and didn't get went to Devontae or went to somebody else. And now with Devontae gone, these guys are really going to start to, we're going to get a better idea of what their full potential really is. They still have to share amongst each other. 
but we're going to get a much clearer picture. And I, and I think Tunyon is a high ceiling guy just because he checks all the boxes. He has the physical attributes. He has the understanding of the offense. The team has his full trust. Rodgers has his full trust, which is massive. Um, and the hands are incredible. He doesn't drop a single thing. I hate to jinx him like that, but he, he, you know, he's, he's, he's going to come down with, give him a chance and he, he'll reward you. By the way, five days until we get to watch our first preseason game. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Let's get to uh, the second clip real quick, and we'll probably end on this. This is Robert Tunyon talking about essentially the team and what went wrong. The, the title is How the Packers Will Make It Back, but it, it also kind of goes into what went wrong last year. I think, I think this is the full clip. Let me, let's, let's fingers crossed here. We do have good leaders on that team. We have a great locker room. We have great chemistry. You know, we've been to the NFC Championship three times. What do we really need to break through that last wall to get to the Super Bowl? And I think it's just the consistency of staying ourselves for a longer period of time. Like, we come out hot. You know, we win those close games, yada, yada. And then we get, like, towards the end of the season, and we're just like, man, f*** this. But, like, we're a 13-3, and 14-3 football team. That's our identity. Like, we're a winning football program. Like, why do we get, like, down on ourselves as, like, time progresses or, like, the weight of the season gets on us? Like, that's not us. So me, like, sitting back and, like, noticing that last year, like, when I was hurt, I stayed there the whole time. Rehabbed in Green Bay, did my surgery in Green Bay. I got to see that. What was hard was we stopped being ourselves later on in the season. So I think just, like, the consistency of being ourselves and, like, staying true to us for a longer period of time, I think that is where, like, is going to take the next step. So my first instinct when I heard this is to argue with them. And I don't, I don't mean argue like disagree. Like, no, that's not what happened. My first instinct, maybe it's, it's to yell. What are you talking about? It's, it's just, I'm, I'm taking it at face value and saying that, that the, the team as a, at large would agree with Robert Tunyon here. I'm just taking it at face value and saying, okay, let's say that is what happened. Professional football players, some of the best at their position, some of the best in all of football, who have proven their worth over the course of the season, have the best record, number one seed. You're telling me you lost because at some point you said, and I have no idea what this means, but F this, and started to get in your own head and thought, we're just not very good at this. Like a, a, a pout fest. Like we're a bunch of frauds. We don't belong here. We, we can't do this. And then you go out and play like garbage as a result. And that's happened now, what, two, three years in a row? Where you dominate in the regular season, you have belief, and then what? You get into the postseason, you feel like frauds, and you, you actively give up? I mean, don't get me wrong, that's exactly what it looks like, but if, if you're telling me that's what it is, I'm at a loss, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm angry about that. We've had to endure these horrific losses because you guys are having a collective pout fest? Because you have imposter syndrome? You lost belief in yourself? I mean, I, 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 I just want to sit here and say, freaking grow a pair and go play football. What are you talking about? What, what are you even freaking talking about right now? That's pathetic. And, I, and yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do about that. How do, how do you build the confidence of a team that spent the entire regular season proving it to themselves? You did it. If you have imposter syndrome at this point in the season saying, I don't know if we can do this, and you're kind of doing this whole fake until you make like, we'll be fine, no, 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 no. And then you go in 13 games. Now you should be at the point where you believe. There should be no more doubting. The doubting happens in August, not December, not January. What are you even talking about? How does that even make sense? And again, what do you do to fix that? Because there's obviously no way to convince you that you're a good football team. None. If you go undefeated, what is that? What's the difference? The three games make a difference? 
I mean, I'm listening to him talk, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And again, I don't, I don't exactly, I mean, he kind of explained it, but it seems like a weird way to describe it, to just say, we get to that point and go, uh, F this. Excuse me? This is what it's all led up to. What are you talking about? This is what it's all been for, I thought. This is when things start to kick into high gear. There should be a heightened level of alertness. There should be a heightened level of excitement. There should be a heightened level of, you know, feeling amped up, feeling better about yourselves, feeling unstoppable, feeling unbeatable. And, and again, everything he's saying is, is, I think every Packer fan that watched these games would look at it and say like, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly what it felt like. You went out there and just acted like you're the Jets. No, oh, we can't do this. But from my perspective, suck it up. It's an embarrassment. And it's, it's, it's ultimately a complete lack of leadership because th- there's no proving it to yourself. If you go win 13 games, 13 and 3, 13 and 4, whatever, and your team doesn't believe in themselves, that is a leadership problem. Whether it is your head coaches, your coordinators, or the leaders on the field, Aaron Rodgers, Devondre Campbell, Jair Alexander, I don't care if you're injured or what your problem is. Your goal is to be a leader of your team. This team should be amped up, fired up. There is no excuse. I just got done talking about not too long ago how we have multiple leaders on this team. And if Devondre is the leader of the defense, he is a leader of leaders. He is the king of kings on that defense. But what the heck good is it to have captains, to have leaders on a team, if, if you pull up into your first playoff game and nobody has, nobody has the right mentality? What are you even doing? It is a failure of leadership. It is a failure of the coaching staff. And it's embarrassing. It really is. You know, you listen to Bears and Vikings and Lions and everybody else mock the Packers because, aha, you get there and you can't win. You get there. Da, da. This is mockable. If I was a Bears podcaster, I'd be doing laughing at the Packers segment and I'd be playing that over and over and over and over again. It is a complete joke. It is an embarrassment. It is an indictment of the entire team, the coaching staff, and every quote-unquote leader on this team. What kind of a leader can you call Aaron Rodgers if, if this is true and the whole team is just going, oh, forget this, we can't do it. This is what Robert Tunyon is telling us. I'm just drawing conclusions from what the man is telling us, and I have no reason to doubt him because it's exactly what it looks like we're watching on the field every time the playoffs roll around. A team that doesn't believe in itself anymore. They have a self-esteem issue. Wah! I'm tired of the lip service, dude. I'm tired of hearing about how fired up they are. You know, you got Jair and the DBs and all these guys talking about where... And, and I, listen, I can't take it out on the defense. They, they showed up and they balled out, right? So fine. Let's take the defense out of the equation. And, and, and good for them, right? They have that mentality that, that and, and they showed up at a higher level. That's what you expect. So, so let me retract any statement about the defense, at least for now. They showed up and they actually got better, which is what you want. That's what leadership does. Explain the offense to me. Maybe, maybe that's what we're missing as a leader on offense. And Rodgers just is not the answer. And somebody else has to step up. Maybe Mercedes Lewis needs to be more vocal. Somebody has to step up and fill a void on that offense. And, and Rodgers, you know, again, He's talking about, you know, that's not his style. He's not a rah-rah guy. Fine. Somebody else needs to be the rah-rah guy. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are too soft-spoken. I think Mercedes Lewis is too, I mean, he, people listen, but he's not a rah-rah guy. He's too soft-spoken. Who's the rah-rah guy? I don't think it's Lazard, and I don't think he's earned that. You know, it's, again, it's got to be a big money guy. Is it, is it David Bakhtiari? Maybe it needs to be Bakhtiari. Bring in a couple 30-packs, drop them in the middle of the locker room, and give these boys a pep talk. Somebody's got to do it. And if Rodgers will not step up to the plate and give these boys a rah-rah talk, which I agree, I'm, I'm with them, they shouldn't need that, and I shouldn't have to do that, fine, then don't do it. But somebody's got to do it. 
the defense is, is in a great way right now, and they need to maintain that. Just, just this mentality of, we are the best, we will be the best. It's, it's needed. And Tunyon sees it. And again, I don't know if people are going to listen to Tunyon, but we need more people like Tunyon that will at least have that mentality. Maybe you can't step to the forefront and talk to these people because they won't listen. You won't, but you at least need to be there to be receptive and, and to carry that mentality into the field and everything else, to show everybody else this is the expectation. This is what we are, and I will not tolerate any talk otherwise. I know Aaron Rodgers has the right mentality, and I know Mercedes Lewis has the right mentality. But we can't have a team where Billy Turner and a bunch of other guys go out there and just decide they're not going to play. Can't have it. I'm so tired of the moping and the pouting. And, it, and, it, and it's Rodgers, too. And, it, and it, things have gotten better, but we've seen that in the past. It's like I've said before, in 2019, 2018, you, know, you, you could tell how the game was going to go after the first series. If they went three and out, Rodgers starts pouting. And then when Rodgers starts pouting, the rest of the offense starts pouting. And then the defense starts pouting. And everything just falls apart from there because they didn't get a first down on their first freaking drive. And the whole game is over now because we got to have a big giant pout fest. Enough. Can't do that anymore. I know. And, and I keep going back to this. I know Russell Wilson's a goofball. I know he's cheesy and I know he's, he's all this stuff. But you know what? You need something like that. What, what you need is when the first play doesn't go well and everybody feels like pouting, you need a guy that's over there clapping like a seal, like a big door, going, that's all right, that's all right, we got him next time, let's go. I don't want to see any pouting, we're prepared for this, we're ready for this, this is four quarters, we got this. You know, and, and, and Rodgers is shaking his head, looking at the guy like, freaking idiot, and goes to the side and doesn't talk, you know, whatever. You know, Manning used to do that, Brady does that, they, they pace the sideline, they're yelling at people, getting in people's faces, let's go, we got this. And occasionally you see that from Rodgers, but... Again, somebody's got to do it. And I hate to keep picking on Rodgers, but at the end of the day, if he can't be undermining either. It does no good to have David Bakhtiari be the rah-rah guy if, if the actual leader of the team, whether he wants the role or not, he is the, the heart and soul of this team. If he's going to pout, it's, it's all undone. He has to carry that mentality of, we got this. And he should, above anybody else, have that mentality because he's Aaron freaking Rodgers. And if he just goes to the sideline and he's, and he's like, you know, if, if they think they get down by 14, if they think they got this, they forgot who's on the other side of the field. I'm Aaron freaking Rodgers. Everyone else is going to get jacked up about it. Like, heck yeah, dude. Be arrogant. They'll eat it up. We'll eat it up. I'll eat it up. Going into halftime, things aren't going well. Just smirk. <laughs> if they think they got this game, they're out of their mind. I'm just getting warmed up. Get ready for the Aaron Rodgers show. And then jog into the freaking locker room. Tell the guys the exact same thing. Let Bakhtiari get up and do his thing. Let him slam a beer and get, get the guys all fired up. Get back on the field and start smashing heads because you're a better football team than everybody else. I don't want to hear or see any more pouting nonsense. I'm so tired of it. Especially from this offense. I'm sorry things don't always go perfect. Freaking get over it. Again, proud of the defense. And, and they need to maintain that. They need to keep that up. And, and it, I'm glad that they're adding guys that are doing... And, you know, this, this is interesting because it seems like the team is building in this direction. They're finding the right character guys. When they go out and they, they get guys on D... It's not a coincidence that they're from Georgia. And it's not simply because Georgia's a good football team. It's because they have a championship mentality. We are the best in the game. They're not going to have the opportunity to come here and start to have their spirit broken. They're coming in here believing they're the best in football. And then they come into this defense that's already great with a bunch of guys saying, we are the best, we're going to be the best. And he's like, yeah, I know. That's not surprising. They, they haven't been here for 20 years watching the Packers' defense suck. They're just going from one great defense to the next. They, they have no reason to doubt Devontae Wyatt, Eric Stokes, Quay Walker. They're coming into a bunch of guys that are all fired up, that are ready to be the best in football, and there's no reason to doubt it. Amos came from Chicago. Zadarius came from Baltimore. Defensive culture. Even Preston coming from Washington. 
Washington has always sucked, but that defensive front has got a culture. I feel like my entire life, they've had nothing but a good defensive line. It's about cultures, about guys that believe. Dobbs is a guy that's been dominating college football. He's always been this guy that just dominates. Christian Watson is the best wide receiver in the entire FCS. And you could say, well, it's the FCS. Doesn't matter. He's a guy that's always been the best since he was a kid. He's been the best in football. That's all he's ever been is the best. He has belief. All the way down the line, you're getting, and, and, and that's normal that you draft guys that are the best, but I think the Packers go out of their way to find guys that have this belief. The problem is, and this is a problem, and I know people are going to get mad at me, the problem is you can't change the culture with Aaron Rodgers not shaking that off. And they can't get rid of the guy. And I'm not saying they fully want to, but they want more than anything to change that culture, and they cannot fully change it until Rodgers is willing to change. He's got to knock off the pouting stuff. And, And granted, he's gotten better, but a lot of that just has to do with the fact that things have gotten better. There's not enough reason to pout. You're not even losing any football games anymore. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give him half credit for, for kind of lightening up a little bit, but I still think it's got to go full in the other direction. Somebody has to step up and be that guy. The, the offense needs to have the same mentality as the defense, and you hear the defense talk about it all the time. We're the greatest. We're this. We're that. And I, I could appreciate Rodgers being humble. That's great, but maybe you should not be. I mean, honestly, I, I know you want to win, Rodgers. I know you want to win desperately. Can you, can you put on a show for one year? Let's call this the last ride for sure. Can you do that? Can you put on an act? I, I mean, I, I know you're arrogant, right? I, you're humble, but I, I know you're very, I should say, confident. Just tell people, show them, but also brag on them. I am the best quarterback in football. David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins are the best tackle duo in football. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are the best running back duo in football. You might know that in the back of your head, and the rest of the guys know that in the back of their head, but apparently there is a crisis at the end of the year where everybody forgets. Don't let them forget. Remind them. Beat them over the head with it. And maybe that, that's sort of that winning culture mentality of we don't just hand out compliments or anything, but it sounds like you need it because there is that lack of belief. You know, and I, I go back to the, the weightlifting thing. You, you crank up the music and you, you start getting in your own head. You believe that you can lift the world, and it does help. You know, if you come in cold, no music, nothing, like I'm just going to bench or whatever, you're not going to be able to lift as much. There's a reason why guys have this pregame ritual where they listen to music and they get themselves amped up because it matters. It makes a difference. Momentum matters for that reason. It's about belief. And when you feel the momentum leave you and, and everything else, you start to lose belief. That's the problem with momentum. It's not this actual physical force in the universe. It's that it's, it's this thing that's happening where everybody can feel the game turning. And the team that was losing now has belief they're going to win. And the team that's winning has belief they're going to lose. That's the point. And that's why it is going to change until you can start to believe. And it won't change if you just don't start believing you're going to lose. Just keep believing. You'll be fine. But it's just, it's just beyond frustrating to hear him say that he was observing and watching as they just sort of kind of got this eh, whatever mentality. It's got to be addressed. It's been three years. Matt LaFleur has got to do, I mean, Matt LaFleur ultimately is the guy. If, if the tight end can sit there and see it, then everybody can see it. Matt LaFleur has to step up and, and, and first and foremost go to Rodgers and say, this is the problem. What are we going to do about this? And if Rodgers says, I don't know, guys need to be, do a better job of motivating themselves, I'm going to look him dead in the face. I'm going to say BS. That's not going to happen. And if that's the solution we have here, we will not win a Super Bowl. And you know it. Are you going to suck it up and be the leader of this team? Or are we going to lose in the playoffs every year? Flat out. That's the question I have for you. But Matt LaFleur won't have those conversations because he's too much of a nice guy. It has to happen. Are you going to suck it up and be the cheerleader? 
or are we going to lose in the playoffs every year? Is this going to be your legacy? Are you going to walk off having lost the next two years? Because that will happen. There needs to be this undying, immovable, unstoppable force that the Packers are just relentless. The, 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 the description I keep giving of, of what I love about this defense is that it's suffocating, and there needs to be an offensive element of that just from the opposite side and that it is just unstoppable. It just keeps coming, and even if you have a good play, it just comes right back, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. It doesn't matter. You've got to withstand the storm for four quarters. There is no demoralizing it. There is no weakening it. It just keeps coming for you, and it just keeps getting stronger as the game goes on. That's what the Patriots have always been, and it's not a coincidence that Tom Brady is as successful as he is. Same with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's not a Bill Belichick thing. It's a Tom Brady thing. He is an absolute force. He will not stop. He doesn't get discouraged. He might get angry. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't pout. The man gets angry. He gets even. And he is an unstoppable force for four quarters, and the offense is the same It follows suit. It follows the leader. It takes on the identity of the quarterback. That's why his offenses are as good as they are. It's not because he's the most elite quarterback in the world or anything. It's the fact that he will not stop. And everybody around him sees it and everybody else follows suit. That's why you never feel safe playing against Tom Brady and whatever team he's on. Doesn't matter if you're winning. Until that game is over, you know he's not going to stop. And that's just not the way it's been with the Packers. Now, granted, Pack, you know, Aaron Rodgers has led some comebacks, and that's great. But far too often, there has been times where you can beat the Packers by demoralizing them. It's got to stop. And, and, and that's the bottom line. And I think Tunyon did lay out ultimately what needs to happen. And that's going to be the thing we got to track this year. Is there belief? Is there fire? Is, is there talk amongst the offense? Forget the defense. We know they've got that talk. Is there talk amongst the offense of, we're really, really freaking good? We will not stop. I'm not talking about winning football games. I know they can win football games. They always win football games. But if they continue with this ho-hum attitude of, well, yeah, you know, we'll see next week and, you know, we've got to do the best we can, take it week by week. I'm not feeling good about it, period. So anyways, it's getting late. I got to get this posted. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.